Good morning, everyone. I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reverend, you and I have been together over the years in celebratory times and sorrowful times, and this week obviously has been particularly painful for you and the family, uh, the loss of a child. And that is, to me, it's probably one of the most difficult uh, challenges that one has to face in life. Let's talk about your son. You know, Rabbi, we hope that our children bury, bury us and not that we have to bury our children as parents. And um, it is, has been a tough week for my family, tough two weeks for my family, uh, because it is the second son we've lost in, mm-hmm. in six years. Um, my first son, of course, our, our firstborn son, he died in 2015 of uh, an asthma attack, very severe asthma attack. And that was unique in and of itself. He was very, very close to my wife, um, you know, the first firstborn child. But this second passing of a second son, one of our middle children, um, is just a different scenario because it's one we knew the possibility of um, because of what he had been struggling with for some 25 years. Uh, He struggled with alcoholism. And, um, you know, we we were planning for his recovery and doing everything we could to help and assist him. But um, it's been quite a battle for him uh, along the way. So, you know, we, for us in our faith tradition, uh, he's at rest. He's at peace. He's, he's he's with God, and the struggle is over. And we can celebrate, you know, his life. But at the same time, there is a uh, suffering of loss mm-hmm. that that is very real to us. So, as as a person of faith, speaking to a person of faith, we have that. Uh well-known psalm from when shall i find strength you know psalm 121 lord where do you find your strength during this time where does your family find strength during this time you know this is where faith comes into play um our whole family has embraced the family faith that is not always true in every family but in our family you know we are Christians, and we've identified and embraced the Christian faith wholeheartedly as a family, as a large family. You know, we've got seven sons. Uh, We just welcomed our 25th grandchild just a month ago. It's something how life and and death can happen, you know, simultaneously, close to each other, and, and that's the world in which we live. So our faith is an anchor for our soul. It gives us a sense of hope beyond the grave, first of all. Mm-hmm. And secondly, that, that somehow uh, life is not coincidental. It's all part of a much bigger plan that we may not have all of the information on, all of the insight on. It yep. is our trust in God's providential guidance and provision for humanity, especially for people of faith. You know, when you speak of your family, and I know your family, you're not, I'd like to think that 
all families are like you in the sense of the closeness, but there is this love for one another that is so deep, uh, this loyalty to one another uh, that is so pervasive. You're all there for each other. Uh, you know, sometimes you meet families and you see dysfunction at its worst. You see separate, you know, places where you have to speak to one another because they won't come together. That's not true of the Bernard family. You have, and Pastor Karen, uh, have inspired that through example. Uh, that closeness also has to be comforting during this time. It is. Um, that's, that's a very good point, uh, Rabbi. Uh, it, it, it does make a big difference. Our sons were raised to be very close to each other, to look, look out for each other. Uh, we have a saying, uh, family first, always. And um, my wife and I live that out. And, you know, that comes out of my own negative experience, uh, the abandonment uh, of my father from when I was born. He abandoned my mother and I. So I grew up without a father. And for a long time, it was just my mother and I until... You know, she remarried for a moment and um, had my sisters. But, you know, uh, that affected me in a way where I put a high premium on loyalty. It means a lot to me, and I instill that in uh, my boys and, and my family. And then as they got married and started establishing their own families, they, they passed it on. So we vaca vacation as a family, and Joe, you know, that's about yeah. that's about 38 <laughs> of us, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Immediate yeah. family yeah. for me, you know, rent out a stadium. Of us. Rent out stadium exactly. for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> and you all, don't you all live near each other also? I mean, you're all fairly close. Yeah, we, well, I have one son who, who, who lives out of state, but, um, you know, just across the river. Uh, but the rest of us live in a 15-mile radius of each other. That's amazing. And, and people listening saying, I can't believe that. Because, you know, there is this tendency, <laughs> let's get the parents to one place. We'll stay in a different place. Not, you know, close, but not that close. Uh, and yeah. that's not true of your household, obviously. But, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I was having a, a conversation with my grandchildren, some of the older kid, uh, children, and they're already planning to live close to each other when they establish their families. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that, you know, I, we, we, we model things that are sometimes caught and not taught. Right. They're passed on from one generation to another. And the closeness that we modeled, uh, how we handle things, if there is a problem, we, uh, we would call a family meeting. We'd sit down, put it on the table, bring everyone concerned, and, and talk it out. And, and that's, that's how we did it. And, and we're watching, you know, I'm watching my grandchildren. Karen and I are watching our grandchildren do the same thing, wow. calling meetings and having <laughs> conversations yeah. about issues. You know, Rev, I saw something a while ago, I don't know if I mentioned to you, I walked by a playground and I saw a dad pushing his child on the swing back and forth with one hand. The other hand, he was holding his cell phone talking to someone. And I thought to myself, you will never see a grandparent doing that. A grandparent will be there and fully focused on the grandchild. And there is a relationship between grandparents and grandchildren, I think, that is unparalleled in family 
dynamics. You know, Danny Kay, the actor, years ago said the reason they're so close is they have a common enemy, the parents. <laughs> yeah, but they're you know they, I see it so often how grandchildren, they 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 just yearn to be with their grandparents. Not because grandparents spoil them. That's 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 a, that's fine, um, but they also spoil them with love. They give them so much love and so much attention, um, something that sometimes is lacking uh, in other parts of their lives. Well, yeah, it's true, and 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 often the parents are busy working. The grandparents tend to have uh, a little bit more time. Some have a lot more time um, to to give to the grandchildren. In, in my family, it's funny you you talk about that, but um, my wife and I are matriarch and patriarch, and uh, my grandchildren have someone that they can tell on when they have a problem with their parents. So they leverage uh, my wife and I as a threat. We're going we're gonna to tell mama and papa. <laughs> and so they threaten their parents with that. And, yeah. and it just it goes to show you the levels of authority. <clears throat> and it's important for children to see that the authority figure in their life immediately, the parent, is also subject to authority. Yeah. And uh, often when that's not there, Kids never learn how to switch hats, how to put on the hat of submission and, and, and switch to the hat of authority in the right yeah, time. Yeah. And that's important in our society. Yeah, we're going to take a break here. We're going to come back and talk about, because people listening saying, you know, all of us inevitably face loss in our lives. Uh, some obviously uh, unexpected, tragic. Um, you know, I remember hearing a rabbi say years ago, I can accept the fact that someone will become much older, develop an illness, perhaps be taken away, but to see someone in the prime of life uh, be taken, or, uh, you know, or a very, very young person, there are certain things I find hard to accept, but let's talk about how we deal with loss when we come back after these messages. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard, and thanks, Rabbi, for leading this conversation. Well, you know, you. we're still working through all of this. Yeah. Well, thank you for... Finding that strength, you know, we in Jewish tradition pray for strength each day, but uh, two forms of strength, uh, physical and spiritual. And, mm. uh, you know, as you get older, the physical strength you know, wanes a bit, uh, but hopefully that spiritual strength uh, girds you uh, during the most difficult times. There, I've come to learn there are certain phrases I, I, I just I don't like. For example, when someone says, no one is irreplaceable. To me, that is that is so. To me, it's offensive, because we <laughs> think every person is unique. Every person is in the divine image. But what do you mean? No one's irreplaceable. You you replace people. It's not a car, you know. It's not some inanimate object that you just, uh, you know, can discard and find a, a replacement. People are not replaceable. You lose someone in the family. Well, you know, that's a reflection of the culture, uh, Rabbi. We we tend to think of not only things but people as commodities that we can buy and sell, trade, use, and dispose of. Um, and it's unfortunate that, you know, we, we are at that place in our, in our society um, because it creates a, a, a crisis within the society that requires an awakening. Hopefully that's the next cycle that, you know, our nation is going to be on. But, I mean, even having this conversation with, with you... Um, you know, I, I, I'm still working through it. We, we all grieve differently, mm -hmm. and grieving is a process. 
uh, for me, I need positive distractions. Uh, I need work. You know, my work, the work that I do. There's a wonderful passage in the book of, of, of Proverbs that, that says that he that refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And it's so true mm -hmm. that when you pour yourself out, you know, you end up uh, getting refreshed, uh, pour, being poured into uh, by other people. Um, it was Friday morning, the funeral was Friday, and Friday morning I got a text message from a pastor uh, upstate New York near Buffalo, and um, he was reminding me, you know, sharing words of, of consolation, and um, he was reminding me of the role that I played in, in, in his life. And, you know, if, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll share the story. His name is Paul Mead. And about 18 years ago, Paul was strung out on drugs, estranged from his family, sitting on a curbside on the streets of Syracuse, New York. And he was hopeless, helpless, and ready to take his life. Mm. And one of our churches in Syracuse was having a program where, you know, we would take a van and uh, gather uh, homeless people, those on the streets, bring them to the church, give them a meal, and they would sit through a sermon. And he said, it was 18 years ago, he said that um, that night, the, the van came by, he got in, went, had the meal, and then sat for the sermon. And he said the preacher said something that evening, that this doesn't have to be the rest of your life. Today is a turning point. Mm -hmm. And those words, and you never know when words are going to penetrate. Right. We, we hear words all the time, but they're... Is that moment when it just breaks through everything and pierces the heart. And he said those words he took personally as though God were speaking to him through this representative. A week later, he's in a church service and um, he responds to, in, in our context, our faith tradition, an altar call where you're invited up for prayer to the front of the church. And he went up, and he said he dropped to his knees and broke down crying. And his life took a radical turn. He went into a drug program, uh, got cleaned up, was restored to his family, restored to his wife and his daughter, his mom and dad, that he had an opportunity to spend time with before his dad died because the relationship was was quite strained. And then he started to, he went to seminary, uh, got his education, uh, became a pastor of a church and established a church upstate New York. And 15 years went by and he finds himself in Buffalo sitting in the audience at a leadership meeting and I was the speaker. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And after the, uh, after my message, my presentation, I uh, did a book signing, and he was online. And Joe, I kept looking at him yeah. because you know he's Irish, Irish fellow, red face, right. bright, you know, uh, eyes. 
and he he finally got up to me and, and he said, can I hug you? And, you know, I said, okay. <laughs> and he hugged me. And he said, let me tell you why I'm crying. And he told me the story of what happened 15 years prior to that and how his life was turned around and what he's doing now. And he said the one thing, the one piece of the story that was, was incomplete, he never knew who the preacher was. And as he sat there in the audience that day while I was talking, the voice came back to him. And wow. it was me. I was the preacher that night, that 15 years ago. And he just said, you know, it, it all came full circle, and it's like the last piece of the puzzle was put in place. And since then, Joe, you know, that was three years ago that this happened. Since then, we've, we've kept a great relationship with each other. And he texted me this morning just to remind me of the impact that, um, you know, my life had on his and just to give me a word of encouragement. You never know. Yeah, you, know, it, you just never know. It's a lesson for all of us on the pulpit. You know, I know we like to see numbers. We like to see a, a house of worship that's crowded. But frankly, that is not the determining factor. You have to mm. recognize that each person there is there to hear a message. And you have the ability to make constructive change or inspire constructive change in someone's life. Yeah. I remember uh, someone recently, I'm not going to mention his name, but he did something shameful, public figure, was in all the newspapers. And in talking with him, I said, look, you have a choice. You can allow this one chapter to define you for the rest of your life, or you can mm. write some other chapters. And he has rebuilt his life. Of course, you know, some of the newspapers don't write about the rebuilding. They only write about the destruction. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that <laughs> occupies, you know, people's attention. The fact that you can turn your life around, you know, uh, that so for some reason doesn't attract, you know, uh, the same uh, kind of need to know. Um, but anyway, we, we really, we're in a very unique position. Uh, you know, clergy are impactful, potentially impactful. And the story yeah. you just told is one, you know, we all look back and say, we made a difference. We made a difference. And there's something yeah. you said that I found so interesting. I've come to appreciate the hug. You know, mm -hmm. uh, you and I see mm -hmm. each other, whatever. You know, we're masked, <laughs> we're vaccinated, <laughs> but we still hug. Uh, there yeah. is something so strengthening about that moment beyond words uh, where a person reaches out to you and just holds you for a minute, especially when you're going through a difficult time. Uh, yeah. You know, you, you want to be, be held. You want to be hugged. Uh, so don't minimize, you know, personal, you know, some macho people think, ah, you don't do that. Ah, you know, especially guys, ah, we don't do that stuff. Well, <laughs> we, we, we uh, need to do that stuff. We need that stuff. You know, it's life can reduce you. Life can humble you to a place where you need a hug like that, and it makes a difference. And you know, let me say something, uh, uh, Joe. That you know, our listeners out there, you know, probably can identify with this conversation and losing a loved one, but also the, the circumstances, the whole idea of succumbing to a battle with 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 alcoholism. Um, my uh, some of my grandchildren, just a, a handful of them, were concerned because I, I put out a post on social media announcing that my son had passed. 
And I carefully indicated that it was from alcoholism. Mm -hmm. And uh, I took some heat for that. And it's because that they said, well, why did you why did you tell? And I said, you know, unfortunately, we live in a world, if you're a public figure, uh, such as you and I, uh, Rabbi, if we don't get out in front of, of these things, we don't control the narrative. And all of a sudden, all of these opinions and ideas of what happened, mysteries and questions, just to create something viral, take place. And I will tell you, by getting out in front of it and simply stating, this is, this is how we lost our son. He battled, and this is how we lost him. I started getting phone calls from around the world. One particular high-profile celebrity called me and said, man, you have no idea what your transparency and the transparency of your family has done for me. I have secretly battled with this thing for decades. And for you to just come out and put it out there, he said, people don't realize it's, it's a slow death because it's socially accepted. It's, it's a disease. It's, it's, it's a drug addiction. But, you know, it's, it's, it's social. And we can go on while inside, our, you know, the liver is being destroyed, the kidneys are being destroyed, the heart are being affected. And it's not something where you can tell, tell someone, well, you know, you need, uh, let's, let's straighten up and get going. It, it, it's, it's not like that. So I got calls and emails, and then my, my kids started getting calls and emails. Thank you for your transparency. You have no idea. And we started getting all of these stories and testimonies of people who were freed from it and people who are still bound and, and, and looking for help, and it gave them hope. You know, as you're talking, I'm thinking of my mom, who was a great mom, and but she had this one concern that was, was maddening for me. She always used to say, well, what will the neighbors say? If we get a new car, what will the neighbors <laughs> say? You know, I said, Ma, yeah. I don't care what the neighbors say. You know, they're not defining who we are. <laughs> we define who we are. And they can react to our yeah. definition, but they don't, they don't write the definition. And, you know, I look back at the Bible, and as the Jews were traveling to the Promised Land, what was their concern? What will a nation say if we don't get get there? That God took us out and didn't bring us there. What will they say? Hmm. It was, you know, that's the wrong question. You know, it, it's not what they will say. It's what you do that matters most. Then they can say all they want and because uh, you're comfortable with who you are. You're comfortable with your statement, with your example. So uh, transparency to me yeah, is, and, 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 is key. Absolutely. I, I, you know, I, especially in this world of social media, because either, I like what you said, if you don't define yourself, then you leave it open and people will define you and then judge you by their definition. So you have to get out in front of it. And everybody, Rabbi, the qualified and too many unqualified have a platform and they can say whatever without giving it thought and then people jump on the viral bandwagon and start commenting. That's the world in which we live. Yeah. And there are people out there who are struggling and hiding their struggle for that reason, 
because they're ashamed. They're afraid of what people are going to say. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully, you know, these kinds of stories let people know you write the story. You set the example. Don't be defined by others. You define who you are. You know, one of the things that comes across also, Rev, is the importance of community, that you're surrounded not just by your immediate family, by, but your friends who are like family and all the people who reach mm. out to you that you reach out to over the years. Um, you know, you, 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 you can't go through it alone. I know some people say, you know, I'm, I'm tough. Uh, I, I can do it alone. You really can't. Uh, you, you need to find strength by uh, holding on to, uh, to others. Strength through strength. Uh, so community, as we've often said, is, is so, so critical. In, Absolutely. In yeah, I, I know we're, we, we need to take a break again, but, um, you know, we don't grow in isolation. We, we, we only grow in community. Mm -hmm. And there are too many stories of children who've been isolated right up into their adult life, and they don't know how to socialize. They don't know how to interact with society at large. And... Uh, it, it becomes a, a social problem. So community, I cannot tell you, I got, I got so many text messages that I just couldn't answer them. I, I yeah. you know, I, it would take a day to do that. And that's, that's to be celebrated. But at the same time, you know, uh, it was a constant reminder of the pain, um, of the, the hurt, because you never want to lose a loved one, no matter who they are, but especially in a situation where this is a person that you love dearly and knew that they wanted to do good, that they had so much potential, and that potential was never realized. Um, that's a that's a tough thing. Yeah, Rev, I I want to thank you. We're going to obviously take a break now, but I want to thank you for the courage that you have demonstrated this morning. Uh, as you deal with this very difficult time because uh, you really have been an inspiration to all who in life have to face difficult times. So let me just say that uh, once again, uh, you've inspired other people. We'll be back with the Rev and the Rabbi. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reverend, I... You know, Rabbi, I, 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 I was just thinking we were talking during the break and I thought it's important, we were going to kind of switch gears, but I think it's important to talk about uh, grieving and, and, and um, what people go through. Because too often, you know, you have people who will tell you, get over it, yeah. life goes on. Yeah. Closure. And that's one of the closure. worst yeah. things that yeah. you could ever say. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I, the loss of a loved one is an open wound. Mm -hmm. And you, you just don't say, be well, be healed, and, 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 and move on. There, there's a process that's, that's involved. And there's something called the five stages of grief. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've ever used it in, you know, uh, consoling uh, some of your parishioners or individuals that mm -hmm. you've had mm -hmm. to counsel. And uh, I, I think it's important that, that, that no one tries to lay on anyone uh, how they should grieve, you know. There's not a one-size-fits-all. 
Uh, it's a process that people have to go through and they deal with it differently. I would say that they should never isolate themselves because that's a dangerous thing. Uh, but they should be pe with people that are mature, people that they trust and who can share words of comfort or just, or just something that you mentioned on one of our broadcasts, the theology of presence. Remember that? Sure. Just, just, just being there. Um, so I, it, I think it's so important. You know. And those five stages, of course, you know, begins with denial mm -hmm. and then, then anger and, and then bargaining, you know, and then depression and finally acceptance. Mm -hmm. And we have to go through a process. And that's, that's the only way and the best way to really work through the hurt and the pain when you lose someone that you love. You know, Jewish tradition teaches a number of things in terms of the mourning process. First of all, there's the burial. And even that has certain uh, traditional elements that are seen as therapeutic. For example, the coffin is brought to the grave, but it's, there are stops along the way. You know, you're accepting this finality, but it's not easy. So you pause hmm. for a moment with the coffin, pause another moment until you get to, to the gravesite. There are people who are asked to take a handful or a shovel of earth and bury the person. You know, one of the things that you learn in, in our tradition is that members of the community would assume responsibility for the burial. You wouldn't allow strangers to do it because this person lived in our community, was, you know, one of us. So, right, right you know, um, even now, uh, we, we have a particular responsibility in burying the person. And I remember somebody once said to me uh, about this, he says, you know, when you come into this word, world, there should be uh, a hand of love. When you leave this world, there should be a, la a hand of love. And that's why, you, you know, you should pick up the shovel at the end. Um, but the, the shiva, you know, when people come to, to be with you, you don't mourn alone. However, you don't extend the mourning period. If it's a seven-day mourning period and uh, Shabbat is counted as one of the days, but you don't sit Shiva on the Sabbath, but you don't, you can't say, I, I love this person so much, I'm going to add another day. I want more time mm. to, you can't do that with Shiva. You have to walk around the block, we say. You have to resume life. As difficult as it is, you can't isolate yourself from everyone. Right. Right? right. You'll have the private moments, right. of course. Nobody yeah. can, you know, tell you how to feel inside, but you can't publicly extend that morning because otherwise you'll never be able to return to some kind of a, you know, a normal life as you had. It's going to be different, but it can't be completely absent. Yeah, it 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 it, it is. There's a big difference because I will tell you when we lost our first son, holidays were not the same the that first year because he passed in february so that first year man every holiday that the family would get together you you felt him missing there was an empty chair and now we've got two empty chairs so we've got you know thanksgiving and christmas coming up and then into next year and then his birthday uh things things change when there's an empty chair at the table in the family. Uh, and at the same time, you have to balance that with the reality that life continues. Uh, life goes on. And it's not choosing one over the other. It's learning how to balance both experiences. Uh, 
remembering, walking through the grieving process, and at the same time, moving forward. You know, you talk about life going on. I remember remember the flying Willendas and the trapeze and all the daring, you know, oh, stunts yeah. they did. Uh, they lost uh, some members of the family uh, because, hmm. the, you know, it's so dangerous that uh, there were fatalities. And there was a phrase, they went right back up, you know, and continued because the show must go on. And you say, wait a minute, the show must go on at a later point, but right now the show can stop. And I think what mm-hmm. you're saying is you got to balance both. You don't have to know when to stop, and you have to know when to go mm-hmm. on. Um, right. 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 And and I and I think our tradition really uh, reinforces, you know, how we are uh, to get through this in different contexts. Uh, and as you say, there's no one size fits all. But the idea of people reaching out to you and the idea, uh, Ellie Wiesel. We had the uh, fortune of uh, having his son, Elisha, with us a while ago on radio. But I remember Elie Wiesel said he went to a synagogue to say Kaddish, the mourner's prayer, upon the loss of a loved one. He felt so despondent. You know, he'd lost uh, someone who was so special in his life. And when he walked in, he met some other people who were there to say Kaddish, the mourner's prayer. And he said, you know, I'm not alone. There are people hurting all around me. And we come together and hold each other. And uh, I recognize I'll get through this with them, and they'll get through it with me. So this idea of uh, finding strength uh, by holding on is something very important. And that's how you get, getting through it means going to another stage of life, not erasing Mm -hmm. what happened, but holding on to it and continuing uh, in spite of the wound that that never fully heals. And yeah, and it's, it's part of life. And, you know, we've been having this conversation, and and we are faith leaders, and it raises the question, where does God fit into all of this, Rabbi? Look, I, you know, when we are at the grave, and I talked to the Kaddish, you mentioned denial, and, you know, there are those who say uh, a different kind of denial, the anger comes with denial. If God could do this to me, I can't believe in God any longer. And a Kaddish mm-hmm. is your affirmation of God's presence. So here you are, mm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a conflicted emotion. On the one hand, you're saying there cannot be a God if this happened. On the other hand, you're saying there is a God. And, that, and then, of course, the challenge becomes how do you find God? Finding God when you're going through a tragic time. Um, and I always find that, you know, you may not find the answer to some of these troubling questions or these mysteries of life, but it gives you the strength to ask the questions. You know, the Bible is full Hmm. of, you know, people of faith who ask questions. Abraham challenged God. Moses challenged God. All the other people, they all challenge God. They all want to know why this. And, of course, we have Job. Um, But uh, at, at the end of all that, they recognize I cannot live without God. I, I can live with my doubts. I can live with, you know, Golda Meir, who's the female prime minister of the state of Israel, uh, said, I believe in God, but he shouldn't expect any medals from me. Uh, you know, <laughs> you, know, you, know you, you have, you know, you have, we, we live, we live with our, sometimes our, that anger, but, you know, that, that's a relationship, by the way. That's a relationship, right? You can yeah, be angry yeah, and love yeah. the person simultaneously. 
Yeah, yeah. It, you know, it introduces something that we tend to do as well, uh, blaming. We immediately look for someone to blame, some pl someone to transfer our feelings of guilt to. Because if we blame ourselves, could we have done more? Could we have, did we do enough? Or, you know, where was God? Why did God let this happen? It's, it's, it's this, this need to place blame on something happening that hurt us, that, that, that we wanted more control over. And that's, that's very, very real. I like what you said. I can live with my doubts and fears, but I can't live without God. Yeah. And that's an important place to be in, in your beliefs. And the recognition, as we've often said, heaven is higher than earth, and we simply cannot fathom uh, all of you know uh, God's design. We don't. We the the idea that we don't know is an acceptable answer. Uh, there are things we don't understand. Um, you know, I, I think uh, of John Vigiano Sr. I mentioned to you he, he died a while ago and he lost two sons on September 11th. Two sons. One was mm. a, one was a policeman. Mm. One was a firefighter. And John was a practicing Catholic. And John would go around to hospitals and war zones. Inspiring others, you gotta, you gotta, you know, maintain your faith. You gotta be strong. Lost two kids and still did it. Now I'm sure there were some times of conflict. God, how could you, you know, it is tragic enough to take away one child, but taking away two children. Um, but he learned how to, I guess, compartmentalize it is, is a way to do. You know, I, I have the anger, I have the doubt, I have this feeling, but at the same time, I love you, and I'm not gonna discard you. And I'm going to do what I yeah. can and, 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 to strengthen others. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why you have to have a theology for suffering. When your theology is only God is going to do wonderful things for you, life is going to be fantastic uh, all the time, uh, only ups, no downs, you, you don't have a theology for suffering, for, for tragedy. And when it happens, you are totally unprepared. Yeah. And, and you become disoriented and, and can fall into a state of depression, etc. And I, I will tell you, in our world, we, we, we don't want a theology for suffering. We don't want a theology for tragedy. Uh, we want to think that only good things are going to happen to is us. That what's called, is that success theology? Is that what they call it? You're, right, <laughs> you're, you're talking you're, about the prosperity gospel. Prosperity yeah, gospel. Yeah, if, you, yeah. if, you do, if you follow this formula... You're going to win the lotto. You're going to have two homes, three cars. Just do, just follow this prescription, you know. And uh, uh, obviously, it's a recipe for, for uh, not only disappointment but uh, dejection. You know, you can go into a depression from that. I, we're going yeah. to conclude soon. I wanted to mention something to you. I was years ago. I was a rabbi, Maurice Cohen, and he wrote a book called Shabbat on Wednesday. He said, you know, maybe we ought to rethink the day of the week and have the Sabbath on Wednesday, it breaks up the week, it gives us a pause, you know, in the middle of all that work. Of course, he was being, you know, trying to be somewhat uh, humorous uh, because the Sabbath for us is Friday night, Saturday, it's the day God rested. And I thought of that a few weeks ago when uh, some of the social media platforms went down. And for a number of hours, mm. you, you couldn't, <laughs> couldn't go on Facebook and Instagram or whatever, some of the others. And I said, wow, you couldn't look at you're posting or somebody else is posting, you had to really be with yourself. What a blessing. What a blessing to have. That was, show, I call it Shabbat on Monday. And I'm thinking of all of this, you know, 
you need time for you. You know, time to reflect on you, and that's why we have this conversation. You know, you've opened up to the, the depth of, of, of your pain and uh, opened your heart for us, and, and I think we need to open ourselves up as well and, and look at who we are and, you know, what are we about? Um, you know, does, what is life... What are we offering life and what is life offering us and what can we do to, to change things so, you know, we can further develop our potential. But you got to have that conversation with that's, yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's that's awakening. That's, and unfortunately, awakening usually only takes place after a crisis, you know. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, all right, uh, the liquor stores and bars could not open until one o'clock on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. And I remember prior to that, you they couldn't open at all on Sunday. Yeah, uh, it was, a, you know, for, you know, a Christian, predominantly Christian society in America. Uh, but that, that day was was a, a, a sacred day. And I was raised understanding. I was raised Catholic. So, you know, we'd go to mass and mass was in Latin in those days. And uh, but Sunday was a day that uh, the local grocery store couldn't eat, could you could not sell alcohol until after one p.m. But we've gotten away from that. Yeah. We've become a twenty-four hour world. Right, right. Sunday blues. We're gonna come back in a few moments just to conclude the program. And uh, this has been to, for me a, a very meaningful, moving conversation with you, Reverend Bernard. Uh, not that the others aren't, but this particularly because it's so personal, and it touches uh, your life, but it touches other lives because. Everyone has to deal with hardship. We'll be back with more of the Reverend Rabbi WABC Talk Radio. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Rabbi, thank you, really. Uh, you know, we, we, you were surprised uh, when we talked about uh, doing a show like this. And I was open and willing, not knowing how it would work out, but... It's been a pleasure having this conversation with you publicly that our listeners could benefit from it. So so thank you for uh, steering this ship today. Well, uh, I didn't do it alone. <laughs> and secondly, you know, some of the best sermons that we've ever given are sermons from the heart, not just the head. And uh, today there was both. Uh, so you, you really, uh, you've moved us today with... A personal story uh, that becomes, in a sense, everybody's story in some way. And if I could just conclude with this thought, in the Orient, it's interesting, the weavers of that, the rug, are told if they make a mistake, you know, the, the carpet, don't take it out. Integrate it into the design. And I think of that because there are certain scars of life you can't remove, but you try to still form yeah. a design for living. And yeah. that's what I yeah. hope... Uh, was accomplished today in this conversation. Thank you. Stay strong. Well and, said, and my we'll friend. Stay, and we'll stay strong with you because you strengthen us and we'll strengthen you. All right? Thank you. Amen. Till next time, I get to chime in here, Rabbi. <laughs> Till next time, be blessed, be well. <laughs>